0: Your positive positive. Positive. imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere.
1: People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Knoll. ChrisKnoll.com. C H R I S. N-O-L-E. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Sign up for email updates from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. Thanks for listening. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.? Well, everybody, the t-shirt design contest has ended and the votes are in, but before I announce the winner, I want to share with you a little bit about each of the designers. I asked each of the designers to be featured on the podcast because I think it would be amazing to hear their positive imprints. Design A is by Aditya. It is the thumbprint depicting your positive imprint and then a positive smile inside of the thumbprint or the positive imprint. He designed the thumbprint with my logo colors. Well, 19 year old SL Aditya is an aspiring designer who is in his freshman year of college at University Design School in India. He is currently studying new media and entertainment, which includes communication design. Aditya says If I win this contest, I'm planning to buy myself a gimbal, <laughs> which will allow me to follow my passion. He further says, I came across your contest and learned about your mission, and I love it. (laughs) I'll try to get the event printed on my local newspaper about your company and work. You are genuinely creating an impact with your hard work and dedication. Kudos to you. Yours, thankfully, S.L. Aditya. Well, S.L. Aditya did accept the invitation to be featured on the podcast. Design B is designed by... Cha. It is the colorful design with the words rising to the challenge and then the heart handprint. She wrote below her design these words, imprint positivity to what surrounds you. Cha is from the Philippines where she is in college pursuing a journalism degree from the Philippines. She enjoys designing so she chose to enter contests due to her academic requirements. She says, To try my luck and help with my academic needs, I entered your competition. I appreciate you, Miss Catherine, for giving me the chance to submit my entry and for everything that you are doing to improve the community. I hope that we could inspire more people to imprint positivity to what surrounds us to make this world better. Thank you and best wishes for the podcast. Well, Cha accepted the offer to be featured on the podcast, but at this time, she is so busy with school. Perhaps she will join the show because certainly I would love to feature her and her positive imprints. Design C opted to remain anonymous. Design D is by designer Deval. His design shows a figure listening to a podcast and receiving information that is important. The words read, keep calm and listen to... Your Positive Imprint podcast. This designer designed the back of the shirt, which was not a requirement, and it read Rise to the Challenge, All As One. The colors are in my blue logo color. 22 year old Deval Anand is a medical student in India who has a keen interest in art and creativity. During his free time, he paints, draws sketches, listens to music, and he says, Recently, I started listening to your podcast, and I like your stuff, all of it. I mean, it's all awesome, full of positive vibes. I will share my feedback once I'm done listening to all of it. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to show you my creativity. Duval has accepted the invitation to be featured on the podcast, but right now he is extremely busy with his medical school studies and exams, which are happening right now, but hopefully soon. And you can learn more about Deval at his Instagram page at my underscore arts A-R-T-Z underscore palace. P-A-L-A-C-E. Design E is by designer Yako. This design depicts the urgency to fight climate change as a world and not as individuals alone. Individuals cannot do it alone. Yako uses the red in the earth and the words, rise to the challenge, to depict that we are in a red alert and it is urgent to rise to the challenge now. Yako is a concept designer and graphic designer in Finland. He actively participates in various design projects around the world. He has been honored with his work and has won numerous contests for his graphic artwork. He says... Closest to my heart is poster art, and especially solidarity and humanity subjects in them. His work is a visual, depicting societal worldwide issues. He declined to be featured on the show right now because he prefers his artwork to be in the forefront. Maybe someday he will be ready to share his positive imprints on the show because Yako is amazing. You can view his portfolio at www. A-A-D-R-A dot F-I. Well, you know, there's so many reasons why I love doing this show for you. And meeting such amazing positive imprints around the world is just one of those. And it is so awesome, rad, and fantastically thrilling for me to share those imprints with you. Thank you to all of the designers for joining this contest with your Positive Imprint designs. I will be in touch with each of you soon, and a big, huge thank you to you for taking the time to vote. I appreciate the notes that you sent as well. And you, as a listener, thank you so much for your support. Well, the winning design will be announced following my guest today, Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.? Sergio Troncoso is the son of Mexican immigrants. His parents came to USA in the 1950s and raised their children in El Paso, Texas. Sergio was an excellent student and found satisfaction when writing for the high school newspaper. Later, he would attend Harvard and Yale universities where his writing became more prominent in some of society's most popular publications. Sergio writes philosophically as he questions the basis of morality both in his fiction and non-fiction compositions often feeling condemned in academic circles and overlooked by those in society who turn away from moral questions and differing perspectives sergio asks the unpopular questions that modern society today and continues until maybe recently has ignored He weaves societal issues into his stories with his characters experiencing a wretched hell, a hell that you and I hope to never endure, but you know, truly reality for some citizens of our world. Well, there are pressing issues within our communities worldwide that need to be addressed. Sergio writes with the hope that the reader will become involved with the characters And when the story ends, that the reader will continue to ponder the issues, different perspectives, and question what is the basis of reality within our own communities. So, I welcome Sergio Troncoso. (laughs) Welcome to my show, Your Positive Imprint. I am so excited to have you here. I've loved your books. Love you. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Catherine, for inviting me to your program. I love chatting with you right before the program, and I'm eager to talk about my work or my new novel, Nobody's Pilgrims, and uh, I wish I could be there. Oh,
1: absolutely. Doing in person is always so much fun, but it's great to see you here on screen. You sound great, and you look great. You look like you've been writing these awesome books and now ready to talk about them, but there's so much more to you than, than writing, and that's... Really, what makes your writing what it is?
0: Well, I mean, I you know, I, as I, as you mentioned, I grew up in El Paso, and and probably the the most important thing to know is is that sort of leap from from the border to the Ivy League that is really in many ways explains my life, and I've been trying to make sense of it for for you know for for decades, really. Uh, but I, you know, I grew up really poor. Uh, in Isleta, which is a little shanty town, or it was a shanty town. It's it's a working class neighborhood now in El Paso. And I was a, a chubby kid who loved books. I loved to read. I love Essie Hinton. You know that was then. This is now The Outsiders, and and that sort of propelled me to places like Harvard and Yale.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh, so the the outsiders. Let let's talk about that for a second because you brought up a book that was actually for our era. It was such an important book because it brought out the societal issues that we were growing up with at that time. Of course, things have changed since then. Yeah, but but the outsiders was definitely one of those books that that I think that one and are you there God? It's me, Margaret. Not, and they're totally oh. different, of course, but for right. our era, that's those are the two books that a lot of us kids turn to for societal issues and how to talk about them and right. you know, not ignoring
0: right. today,
1: I think society ignores, and back then we were handed those books we We read those books in schools
0: right, they certainly weren't banned. In no, fact, they, they were, were not banned. <laughs> they were promoted, and and then for me, "The Outsiders" was one of those early books that really connected with me because it reflected, in part, the community I lived in. I mean, there it was set, in of course, in Oklahoma, uh, but they were and there were poor kids involved in gangs, and I was growing up in Isleta, in a in a shanty town, uh, working class, or basically below working class neighborhood. In which uh, there were gangs in their neighborhood. I identified a lot with Pony Boy and that kid who sort of <laughs> loves uh, books and loves words, but doesn't really quite fit in the neighborhood that, that you grew up in. And so for me, that, that's what, what appealed to me about the outsiders mm-hmm. that many of these poor kids and kids I knew in my neighborhood, cholos, you know, tough kids they were good kids. They had hearts of gold. They would defend you in a way that, that you know, a fancy kid <laughs> who was more well-to-do wouldn't. And, and, and it was because they had tough family lives and people didn't really look at them. And, and so I think for me, that was a very early motivation for me to get the stories of people from my neighborhood, from my family, that i did not see in libraries that i did not see in in universities later when i became older so that was always a very primary motivation for me
1: i love this conversation already because that is just something that you know when i was growing up i didn't live in a from a poor home i went to a catholic school and so it was a little bit different but the outsiders there was a connection i think for for most kids, there was a connection because bullying existed. No matter where you were, bullying existed. Right. But also it it connected because we talked about things. We talked about what would happen, what could happen. And, and then, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, of course, more for females. It was a point for discussion and it allowed for discussion, which... I think is important. And I think that is something in your own writing, you're bringing up issues that have been ignored for so long uh, in the classroom, in families, until of recent years, still ignored. They may be talked about, but they're ignored in the sense of what do we do? Or in the sense of the different, the differing perspectives of what we're seeing and how it's happening. So I do want to talk about that, but I I would like first to continue hearing the story about you growing up because that is what formed your writing and who you are today, especially getting into the Ivy League. I mean, how do you, how could, (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm still trying to figure it out. Maybe maybe they made a mistake, which is what I thought for the first year. But I think a couple of things were very important when I was a kid that made a difference. The first thing, both my parents were from Juarez, from Mexico, and they had these incredible values of hard work. You work until you drop. You do it again the next day, and you do it again the next day. And that is what you do. And and what it meant literally was I would come home from school in grade school, 3.30, and then I would have to go do construction work for two or three hours. And then only after that would I get to do my homework. And my parents were on me. Saturdays and Sundays was no different. It was no, I'm gonna go to the mall and relax. Uh, And during the summer, it was, you're gonna work. You're gonna work every summer. And all of this, in many ways, I think about Nietzsche. (laughs) Later in, in, once I was at Yale, you know what he said, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Uh-huh. And, and my father <laughs> and my mother were like that. They were very much disciplinarians. They believed in hard work. And my mother was very Catholic, but that, that value of hard work, I eventually learned to translate it into mental work, into pushing myself uh, to reading extra books, reading in the summer, doing things that my high school colleagues were not doing because for me, it was, as my mother would say, there is no tired in my house. You are not allowed to get tired. And I was a good writer. I was writing for the school newspaper, and I had won some state awards. And, and I think those early days, when I was in Isleta and very poor, I think the biggest influences were probably my Mexican grandmother from my mother's side, who was as tough-as-nails Older lady who told these violent, exciting stories about the Mexican Revolution as a teenager, and and I loved hearing her stories because, of course, part of it was they were unfiltered. And I as a kid said, "Oh, tell me more violent stories and exciting <laughs> stories about when you you know Pancho Villa would come into town and and take over the banks and take over the stores, and and she was there. She had two uncles who who died fighting for Villa, and and she would talk about how Via's men would would take people and conscript them. You know, if if they were able-bodied men, you were going to fight. And if you didn't fight, you were executed right there. It was sort of like Call of Duty Mexican style from this grandmother who had no social filters. And she would be telling these oral stories for hours on Saturday nights under the desert stars, and 10, 12 people would come down from her tenement in downtown El Paso and hear her stories. And so she was a great oral storyteller. And I learned a lot about storytelling from, from just listening to her. And uh, I think the other early influence in high school was my paternal grandfather, who was a very well-known Mexican journalist. His name is, if you go to Google and type his name, in, you'll find the big boulevard named after him in Juarez. His name was Santiago Troncoso. And he was editor and publisher of El Dia, the first daily newspaper in Juarez. And so he was this sort of rabble-rousing Mexican journalist who was thrown in jail like 28 times for, for writing anti-corruption articles. And uh, I didn't know him that well. I didn't know him as well as my, my maternal grandmother, but I knew him pretty well. And, and when I told him I wanted to be a writer, in high school, he said, don't be a writer because if you tell the truth, people will hate you forever. Um, You know, which is in a way true, but I didn't really listen to him. And so I think that's kind of what propelled me to the Ivy League. And I didn't know what the Ivy League was, by the way. I didn't know what, I'd never been to the state of Massachusetts. My high school counselors told me, apply to Harvard, apply to Stanford, apply to Princeton, Yale. Because, uh, you know, you you have a good chance. Your grades are very good. And I was very good at math and still am. And I was a good writer. And so I think for all of these reasons, they, they took me. But when I arrived, I had no clue what I was getting myself into. I, I didn't even have a a coat. I had only T-shirts from <laughs> um, favorite bands like America and Led Zeppelin and I had bell bottom jeans <laughs> and and I, and suddenly like yeah I'm in Boston and it starts snowing and I didn't have anything but t-shirts so I was cold I had to go to a used clothing store to find a coat a used coat because it started getting cold so I really had no clue what I was getting myself into and and that was sort of the beginning
1: I like these experiences because it it allows us to see a personal point of whom you are and what you experienced, Ivy League schools have all walks of life.
0: I really didn't know that the quality that I needed to have. Uh, it's also just feeling alone. I was the only Mexican in my dorm. People suddenly thought I was, uh, you know, had an accent. And of course, in El Paso, where it's 80% Mexican, I was always the majority. And, and suddenly now in, in Cambridge, I'm the minority. And so as I, I describe it in essays, I was suddenly brown against a white background and, and I had never experienced that. And so a lot of it was just acculturation and not giving up and, and feeling very lonely and very out of place. But I, I remember calling my Mexican grandmother, this great grandmother, freshman year, fall semester, I said, you know, what am I doing over here? I should go back to El Paso. Nobody knows anything about Mexicans or Mexico, and I'm not even sure I should be here. And she told me, you know, she said, Sergio, don't come back with your tail between your legs. This is what you wanted, show them who you are. And, And that was her. She didn't know Harvard, she didn't know the Ivy League, but she knew how to fight. She knew how to fight for yourself, have respect for yourself, and and I think that's what she taught me. I think one of the reasons why I, certainly I'm a feminist is because of her. You know, I thought this kind of person should be in literature because you'll learn so much from a person like that. You know, how to fight and survive when when people don't don't think you'll you'll survive, when people don't give you the benefit of the doubt. But her character was so instrumental in thinking about for me, in my mind, how to pay attention to people you would otherwise ignore, like this poor Mexican grandmother who had character, as they would say in Spanish. Uh, and that, that character, that grit, and, and that's not measured, by the way, in SAT scores, for example.
1: And, <laughs> you are correct. Well, I'm glad that you listened to her. And that you continued because you got an excellent education and you continued writing. And I know that one of the things that you've said, and and I, I get this, you said that you felt that you were condemned in academic circles and overlooked by those in society. How do you feel today? I mean, some of these issues that you have really talked about in your books, so that you can get the reader to ponder and ask the questions, what is the basis for morality in my society when this stuff is going on in other societies or other communities?
0: Oh, absolutely. When I went to, to the Ivy League from a place like Isleta, I don't think there had been someone that had done that from my, uh, let's say, the two or three high schools near the main high school that I live in for decades. Now it's more common. I was sent by Harvard back to to El Paso during Thanksgiving. Uh, for three or four years I did this to recruit other Mexican kids. Oh, wow. So that was the only way I could afford going back home, by the way. Harvard would say, get more kids like you over here. Now it's, it, maybe it's not common, but it's not a surprise anymore. We've had kids from the border from my high school and the high schools near us go to MIT, go to Yale, go to Princeton. And so I think that that has changed. Um, And I I think one of the things the schools notice is that there's a lot more to being successful than just having a good SAT score. Grit and toughness and work ethic count, but are very difficult to measure. If you can get a kid that is really focused, that has a good family, you know, supporting them, not financially, because my parents certainly couldn't send me more than a few hundred dollars when Harvard was costing tens of thousands of dollars, but they supported me with their values and with their encouragement. But all of this meant that over time, I would be very successful. And, and now, now I've somewhat become an insider in the Ivy League, but, but it took a long time And and I think it has changed that there are benefits to diversity, to having a a kid with a voice that's very different from let's say an Andover Exeter kid, you know, from from very rich prep schools. And that these other kids coming from working class or even lower working class uh, parents will have a lot to bring to the table in terms of how they approach school and, and the work ethic that they have. I i mean, one of the things I, I'll tell you, because my kids grew up, I have two boys, Aaron and Isaac, and they're New York City kids. And and I met my wife at Harvard. We're now the the quote unquote, well-to-do couple. And I told my kids when they, they went to a really good school in New York City, I said, you guys don't know how to work. And your friends don't know how to work. So I'm going to teach you how to work like a like a Mexican immigrant. And so Saturdays and Sundays and the summers, my kids, I, w- I gave them extra essays, extra math. Every summer they had to take an extra uh, math course. So they both did two years of calculus before they left. So I, I, what I did is I translated the Mexican immigrant values that I learned from my parents into intellectual work for my kids in New York City. Cause I saw some of the kids here, they're, they're sort of a little lazy. A little, even the smart kids, they don't work that hard. They sort of coast a little bit. My kids went to great schools and got great SAT scores, much higher than I did. Aaron, 2,400 on his SAT. And my other kid, Isaac, scored a 2,300. And I don't think it's because they're brilliant. It's really because of the work ethic that I had that was very different from the work ethic of their peers. And I think this is one of the things I'm trying to say, that the immigrant values brought over by immigrants are so important to this country, to the success of this country, that we overlook that. We overlook how important immigrants look at the world in a very different way than, let's say, somebody who is second, third, or fourth generation here. And and I think those immigrant values mean success and mean uh, a better country for us. And we often forget that.
1: So eloquently said. Very well said. I appreciate that very much. You have so many books out. I haven't been able to get to all of the books, but I have gotten to some of them. And of course, your most recent book, Nobody's Pilgrims, which is Truly, that is a masterpiece, but you said something, and i i I'm not going to do any any spoilers, so don't worry about that because there's some things but one of the things that you said that I mentioned or that's about you that I mentioned in the introduction is that there's a lot of issues still i mean it's getting better, but there's still a lot of issues that are ignored by society and Most of us are never going to experience the hell that your characters experience. And what you're trying to get across is that this isn't just a book to entertain. It's a book to let the reader know this truly is the reality of somebody's hell in our world. You want something to remain with the reader so that change can be implemented. So talk about how you do that in your writing and how you weave it.
0: Also, you know, so nobody I'll focus on Nobody's Pilgrim, since that's my latest novel.
1: Next week, Sergio Troncoso shares more about his books and the issues he wants readers to come face-to-face with through his characters so that you, the reader, have a better understanding of societal issues that need to be addressed. Well, right now, I'm going to announce the winner of your Positive Imprint t-shirt design contest. Again, there were five top designs that you voted on. And thank you again to everybody around the world who participated in the contest as voters. And of course, again, a huge thank you to the designers who entered their work. The winning design will be displayed in my shop at yourpositiveimprint.com. I think this is just so exciting. I'll let you know when the shirt is up there in the Your Positive Imprint shop. Okay, so now the winner. The winner of... The t-shirt design contest is Design A. S. L. Aditya. Congratulations to all of you and thank you again for entering. Again, I'll be in touch with each of you soon. Don't forget, next week, continuing with Sergio Troncoso, your positive imprint, what's your P.I.?